in prayer. And as is our custom, once I have guided us in prayer, we will join together in the Lord's Prayer in the form and language which is the most familiar for us. So let's pray together. Holy God, in whom past, present and future meet, we gather here and now, as one week ends and another begins, to offer you our praises and prayers, to name our sorrow and regret, to forgive and to be forgiven, to seek new hope, new courage and new strength for what lies ahead of us, just beyond our seeing or knowing or imagining. We thank you for what has been good this past week, the many everyday blessings that perhaps we've taken for granted, the people who we love and who love us, the beauty of the natural world and all that gladdens our hearts. We name in our hearts the things that have not been so good, the distressing and disturbing news that fills our media, the growing unrest in the land where we live as public and politicians seem to become increasingly estranged, the wanton destructions of forests, oceans and other ecosystems, all too often the direct result of human greed and sinfulness and also the private and personal moments that have been filled with sorrow or loneliness or regret. Help us, God of all creation, to remain hopeful and resilient, even when events might suggest otherwise. Help us, God of mercy, to be compassionate, gentle and forgiving, even when this feels almost impossible. Help us, God of new beginnings, to be begin once again to live out the faith, the hope and the love that we find in Jesus. And as we pray, we gather our voices in the words he taught his followers, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever.
So, Alinani, would you like to come and join me up at the front? Actually, I'll come around this side of the table. It makes more sense. I think then people can see better. doesn't seem five minutes since you, you arrived. <laughs> and now we're saying farewell. Have the studies gone well? Yes. The studies have gone well. Gone well. Excellent. <laughs> and have you enjoyed your time in Scotland? Um, quite a lot, actually. Um, good. More than I expected. More than expected. <laughs> that, that's definitely good. What's been the best thing? Um, that's going to be hard. <laughs> You can say the church, and we'll be very happy. <laughs> I know. Um, oh, I would say one of the best things was I went to the beach on one of the days. It was shocking because I've never seen a beach without sand. Okay, <laughs> a beach with no sand. Was it a rocky, a pebbly of, beach? Yeah, it had a lot of pebbles. Yeah, yeah. It had a lot of pebbles. And it was, it was a bit strange, but it was fun, actually. Yeah. And then um, it was also strange to get into such cold water <laughs> so that was the north sea was it was that on the east coast or the west coast on the i think it's the east coast the east coast the north sea is the coldest sea there is um. you should have gone to the west coast the atlantic it's about half a degree warmer <laughs> anyway it's been lovely to have you with us i'm going to give you one of our backpack blessing tags um, which just says god go with you or peace be with you and god's got your back but we'd just like to pray for you as you leave Loving God, we thank you so much for Alinani, all she's brought of herself to our fellowship here this past year. We thank you for all that she has learned and will take back home with her and for all that she has given to everybody who has met her over the year. Bless her and keep her safe, we pray. Alinani, may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace this day and forevermore. Amen. So do keep in touch, especially with Anne, who's brilliant at keeping in touch. I'm rubbish at it. Um, but we wish you well, and we'd love to hear your news as you go forward. Thank you very much. We will carry you in our hearts, and we are in yours somewhere. Thank you. So today we're going to begin thinking about... St. Magnus, the St. Magnus Way, which um, you'll probably be fed up with after I've talked to you for six successive Sundays about it, but there you go, that's the way it is. There's some really good themes for us to, to explore. But I thought perhaps we should start off with the legend of St. Magnus. Does anybody know the legend of St. Magnus? Okay, well, I'm going to have to give you a health warning. It is not a nice story, and there is no happy ending. Okay, I'm not going to give you any more spoilers than that, but it's not a nice story. So if you're thinking it's going to turn around right at the last minute, it's not. The story begins at a time when Orkney was ruled by two Viking brothers called Earl Paul and or P Earl Erland. Earl Erland had a son called Magnus, who is our Magnus, and his cousin Earl Paul, sorry, his brother Earl Paul had a son called Hakon. So Magnus and Hakon were cousins, and they're at the heart of our story. The Viking king, called Magnus Bearlegs, came to Orkney and put his son Sigurd in charge of the islands and sent away the two earls back to Norway. And then this king, Magnus Bearlegs, set off on a raiding voyage round the top of Scotland, down the west coast of Scotland, and all the way down to the north of Wales. And he took with him our Magnus, and Hakon. Now, Hakon liked to fight, but Magnus didn't. Magnus was somebody who was trying to follow Jesus, and he felt that fighting people just because they were there was not a good thing. Tradition tells us he was not averse to fighting if he thought it was a fair do, and there was no other alternative, but fighting just for fighting's sake, no. So off they set, and they get, got down as far as Anglesey, which is just off the north of Wales and is a little island. And they were getting ready to fight, and Magnus said, I'm not, no, I'm not fighting, I'm just going to sit on the ship. And so he sat on the ship, and he sang hymns, and more hymns, and still more hymns, because it was a long battle. And he decided he couldn't stick with this anymore, so he jumped off the ship and swam to land on Scotland, 
so the legend tells us, so it's a mighty long swim, but not worry about that, you know. Don't let, don't let facts get in the way of a good story. So he swam away to land, and he climbed up a tree to hide. And Magnus Bearlegs had sent his men after our Magnus and sent dogs. And the dogs were all at the bottom of the tree going, woof, 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 woof. And Magnus scared them off, and they left him. And so they just decided they'd lost Magnus, couldn't find him. So the, the king sailed back all the way around to Orkney, and our Magnus went into hiding. Many years later, after that king had died, our Magnus was able to go home to Orkney. And he caught up with his cousin, Hakon, and they agreed they would make peace, and they would share the islands between them, as their their two fathers had done. And they agreed that they would meet together just after Easter at a place called Egglesea. Might not be pronouncing that correctly, but anyway. And they were going to make a treaty there. And they agreed they would each take two ships, and they would go there, and they would meet. And Magnus's mum, Thora, decided that she would prepare a big feast for when they came home. So Magnus got all his people together and they sailed off to Egglesea. It wasn't very far, but they sailed there. And they got there first and they waited for Hakon to come. And as they looked over the horizon, they saw not one, not two, not three, but eight. I think it was eight ships. I didn't write that bit down. That was a bit daft of me. And they knew something was wrong. So Magnus ran off and hid because he was frightened of Hakon. And Hakon and his people arrived, and, and Hakon uh, uh, was, went and found Magnus and dragged him out in front of the officials. And, and Magnus was really sad because he wanted to make peace. So he said to his cousin Hakon, look, here are three ideas of how we can settle this, and you won't lose face. You will still look like a strong ruler. One is, I could go away. I could go on a pilgrimage for the rest of my life, and you'll never see me again. Nope, said Hakon, that's not going to happen. Well, I could go to be in prison in Scotland, so I would still never come back on the islands, and I would not bother you. Nope, don't fancy that one. The third suggestion, he said, was, well, how about you can blind me and put me in a dungeon? Mm, thought Hakon. That's not a bad idea. What a very nice person, this Hakon, was he? So he thought, right, we'll go with that. But unfortunately, his men would not agree with him. And the, the man who worked for Hakon said, well, one of you two has got to die. We've come here to fight, and one of you is going to die. And Hakon said, well, I like being alive, and I like being in charge. I'm not going to die. And Magnus said nothing. So they decided that Magnus had to die. Well, when it came to actually doing it, they gave an axe to various people. and Oh, no, I'm not doing it, I'm not doing it, I'm not doing it. And in the end, Hakon got his chef, the ship's cook, and said, you're going to do it. And the cook started to cry because he didn't want to kill Magnus. He didn't want to hurt anybody. This was wrong as far as he could see. And Magnus spoke to the cook and said, look, I forgive you in advance for what you have to do, but please do it quickly and chop into my skull. Don't cut my head off, just chop into my skull. And that's what they did. And Magnus died. And they buried him there on the island of Egglesea. And then Hakon and his friends got in their boats and sailed back to the Orkney mainland and went to visit Thora for dinner, as planned. And didn't say anything. And as they had their dinner, and there was no Magnus. His mum, Thora, realised what must have happened. And she just said to Hakon, please can I have my son's body to bury on the Orkney mainland? I don't want him to lie on a different island. I'd like him to lie on the island where I live, the island that was his home. So they agreed, and they put his body on a boat, and they landed on the mainland of Orkney, somewhere near Evie, where the pilgrimage today starts, and they walked all the way round to the Brock of, I forget how you've lost me, no, it's the Brock of Bursay, where he was buried. And there's a St Magnus's church uh, at Bursay, which is possibly where he was buried. 
But the story doesn't quite end there, because stories began to spread that people who went to near Magnus's grave, miracles happened. Sometimes people who were ill would go to the grave and they would pray and, and they would get better. Or the bishop of, of Orkney just said, don't believe a word of that. That's a rubbish. But later, he himself, apparently, was healed when he went to pray at the grave, so he changed his mind. And he decided to make Magnus a saint, which is really interesting because actually only the Pope can make saints, but the Bishop of Orkney made his own saint. Good for him. And then later on, the bones of St Magnus were carefully transported to what is now St Magnus Cathedral in Kirkwall. And if you go there, to this very day, you can see a box with bones that apparently are the bones of St Magnus. So it's that story of the man trying to follow Jesus right to the end. And wasn't he so like Jesus when he said, please forgive the one who's going to kill me? That was a very Jesus-like thing to do. But his story has inspired other people who want to follow Jesus, to learn from him and to walk in his footsteps. So he was a saint, and there are many, many other saints that we have known along the way, and many adventurers. And so we're going to sing a song that I learned at primary school, which we have sung reasonably recently. It was written by John Bunyan, who was um, a Baptist or a Congregationalist. Baptists and Congregationalists argue all the time over who he belongs to. But he was actually put into Bedford Prison for his way of following Jesus. And he wrote this hymn, Who Would True Valour See? Thanks, Paul. In every beginning, there is always before. To every previous action, a prior thought. To each milestone, an intention. The journey begins and begins and is always beginning. This gathering place receives us from every place and background. Many steps have led to this point. Places and people we have been 
lead us to now, lead us to this next stride. May our footprints leave a greater impression on our hearts than on the earth. May our walking lead us on deeper journeys, the discovery of new vistas and fresh encounters. Let this pilgrimage mould us and shape us, inform us and reform us, speak to us in stillness and in motion. The revelation that in every beginning, God has already begun. Our first reading this morning is Psalm 30. Psalm 30. Lord, you lifted me out of my troubles. You did not give my enemies a reason to laugh, so I will praise you. Lord my God, I prayed to you and you healed me. Lord, you lifted me out of the grave. I was falling into the place of death, but you saved my life. Praise the Lord, you who are loyal to him. Praise his holy name. His anger lasts for a little while, but then his kindness brings life. The night may be filled with tears, but in the morning we can sing for joy. When I was safe and secure, I thought nothing could hurt me. Yes, Lord, while you were kind to me, I felt that nothing could defeat me. But when you turned away from me, I was filled with fear. So, Lord, I turned and prayed to you. I asked you, Lord, to show me mercy. I said, what good is it if I die and go down to the grave? The dead just lie in the dirt. They cannot praise you. They cannot tell anyone how faithful you are. Lord, hear my prayer and be kind to me. Lord, help me. You have changed my sorrow into dancing. You have taken away my sackcloth and clothed me with joy. You wanted me to praise you and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. And then in John's Gospel, chapter 11, starting at verse 17. Jesus arrived in Bethany and found that Lazarus had already been dead and in the tomb for four days. Bethany was about two miles from Jerusalem. Many Jews had come to see Martha and Mary. They came to comfort them about their brother, Lazarus. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to greet him. But Mary stayed home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you anything you ask. Jesus said, your brother will rise and be alive again. Martha answered, I know that he will rise to live again at the time of the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection. I am life. Everyone who believes in me will have life, even if they die. 
and everyone who lives and believes in me will never really die. Martha, do you believe this? Martha answered, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God. You are the one who was coming into the world. After Martha said these things, she went back to her sister Mary. She talked to Mary alone and said, The teacher is here. He's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she stood up and went quickly to Jesus. He had not yet come into the village. He was still at the place where Martha met him. The Jews who were in the house, comforting Mary, saw her get up and leave quickly. They thought she was going to the tomb to cry there, so they followed her. Mary went to the place where Jesus was. When she saw him, she bowed at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw Mary crying, and the people with her crying too, he was very upset and deeply troubled. He asked, Where did you put him? They said, Lord, come and see. Jesus cried. The St Magnus Way offers pilgrims a whole series of themes to reflect on, and each of them has its origin in the saga or story of Magnus, who was so cruelly murdered when all he sought to do was to make peace with his cousin. On the website, there are all sorts of really amazing resources, such as poems and prayers, stories, the music we've heard, and, and some photographs. And for each section, there is... Um, a, a single sheet reflection with a set of questions. And it's these questions are going to form the basis for our own thoughts over the next few weeks. On the table at the back, I have put some, a few copies of the poem that we heard read, another poem that is mentioned um, in the, the guide for this theme of loss, and also a copy of the reflection sheet on loss. So if any of those are something you would find helpful, please do take them away. And if they all disappear, you can email me and I'll, I'll point you in the right direction to get them. So the starting point for the pilgrimage is the death of Magnus. And we are invited to contemplate the theme of loss. The poem that we heard read for us in every beginning notes that once we're old enough to recall our own past experience, we never come to a new beginning completely free of that past. So as we set foot on the St Magnus Way, whether literally or metaphorically, we carry with us a whole lifetime of experiences. And those will almost certainly include loss. What that loss is for different people, that will be different. So as we begin today, we bring with us what's happened for us in the last week all the political turmoil that's out there, the natural disasters we've read about, but also what's been going on personally for each one of us. And I don't know what most of that is, but you do, and God does. The pilgrim who walks the St Magnus Way is invited to begin by calling to mind the more significant losses in their own life. Typically, that will include death, perhaps family members, close friends, and, and sometimes even public figures who have been important. But there can also be what are sometimes referred to as little deaths, the sense of loss that can arise perhaps when a relationship ends, or when a person retires from paid employment or is made redundant. 
the loss of independence and autonomy that may come with age or infirmity or the loss of certainty that accompanies a medical diagnosis. There can be loss of innocence, loss of certainty, loss of trust and others. And these losses and the way we process them and integrate them into our own experience has the potential to shape us and our own continuing lives for good or for ill. So I wonder what losses are significant for each of us, whether they're recent or past or long past. For some of us, they will be recent. For some of us, the pain will be very acute and very strong. Some of us will be actively mourning, doing the work of grief. For others, there may be old losses, past losses, that actually could hold us back because we haven't, for whatever reason, been able to work through that sorrow or to integrate that experience. Maybe it feels a bit like we are knee-deep in boggy mud, can't move forward, can't move backwards. Maybe it feels like we're on the edge of a cliff, and one wrong move, and we tumble into the surging waves. Whatever our losses are, and however we feel, the invitation on this stage of the journey is to move forwards, taking perhaps the first few steps into a future. Or maybe discovering, actually, that we can stride quite boldly forward. For some pilgrims, of course, there is no active work of grief, uh, and it is possible that there are no or few significant losses, in which case we are asked a second question, which is just as challenging, I think. What is it that you are afraid of losing, and why? Perhaps our biggest fear is being alone, having no one to share our lives with. Perhaps it's, um, that it's failure, that we might not achieve what, that to which we aspire. Perhaps it's getting old or infirm. Maybe it's poverty or unemployment. Maybe it's death. Maybe it's even fear itself. These fears of loss can be every bit as overwhelming and debilitating as loss or grief itself. Our fear of losing something precious may prevent us being or becoming fully alive. And if that's the case, as we step out on the pilgrimage, it can be helpful to name those things in our hearts. The things that have the potential to hold us back, to stop us moving forward and discovering new life and new vitality. Whichever questions we ponder and whatever experiences we reflect upon, it's scary. We have to take a risk with our feelings. It may mean opening ourselves up to who we really are and what's happened in our lives up until this point. It may mean letting go, whether that is letting go of past hurt and regret or letting, hope, letting go of hopes and dreams, or of complacency and certainty. Because sometimes, actually, it's easier just to stay put, to become stuck in a rut. So there is a risk of allowing our sorrow or regret or our bitterness or our anger or whatever it is we feel to hold us captive. And it takes enormous courage to take the first step forward. And that's why we need to be reassured that we're not on our own, that this path has been trodden by others before us. And indeed, there are people walking that similar path now. 
And for those of us who follow Jesus, we need reassurance that he's walked the path of loss, of grief, and of sorrow. The story of Jesus weeping at the tomb of his friend Lazarus is probably one of the best known and most poignant parts of John's gospel. It's a really powerful story of death, loss and grief. Whatever Jesus may have had in his mind when he made the decision to delay his journey to Bethany, which actually wasn't that far, when he got there, he was confronted by a genuine, real human tragedy. Lazarus was dead and buried. Mary was paralysed by grief. And the usually practical Martha bombarded him with theological questions. Drawing close to the graveside, he became overcome. And we are told in that shortest verse in the whole of scriptures, Jesus wept. Jesus cried. Actually, I think it was more than that. I imagine him sobbing great body-racking sobs as a realisation dawned that his good friend Lazarus really was dead. That these two sisters who'd opened their home to him so many times were grieving. One seemed totally inconsolable. And the other was trying to make sense of what happened. And each of them was trying not to blame him for not turning up when they'd asked him to. And in that moment, it overwhelms him. The enormity of his pain, his loss, his helplessness, the the consequences of his decisions flood through him and he cries. And as I reflected on that story, a very familiar story, I thought, well, what other losses did Jesus experience? Either the ones that actually are written down in the Gospels or the ones that we kind of infer, we sort of fill in the gaps. Tradition has it that Joseph, his father, died when Jesus was young. And we also know that his cousin John was cruelly executed by Herod. So certainly he'd experienced the death of close family members and loved ones. We know that he left behind his family after his baptism in order to go off into the wilderness to prepare himself for his ministry. And that caused strange relationships with his mother, brothers and sisters. So he knows or knew all about family tensions and squabbles, as well as about what it means to leave home and go far, far away. The betrayal by his dear friend Judas Iscariot and the denial by his trusted companion Peter must have broken his heart as he was left to face trial and execution without the support of those he thought loved him. For sure, we're told that the beloved disciple stayed close and Jesus' mother and some of the other women stayed close. But in the end, Jesus was all alone suffocating in the heat of the day. He lost everything, and pretty much everyone. Whatever we've lost, I'd like to suggest that Jesus knows something of what it's like. He's felt the emotional anguish or the abandonment that we can feel. He's wept for those who've died. He's been part of an imperfect family, and he's had to face the consequences of his own decisions. If nothing else, the story of Jesus weeping at the grave of Lazarus reassures us that he knows something of what grief and loss feels like. And if God in Jesus wept for Lazarus, then surely God also weeps with us and for us in our losses. And that is something we can hold on to as we journey on doing our own work of grieving, trying to make sense of our experiences and seeking what we might term a good enough outcome that allows us to keep on keeping on. I chose Psalm 30 to set alongside the 
story of the grieving Christ, because it is, at least according to tradition, the song of a man who's experienced loss himself and come out the other side. It's attributed to King David and seems to be a thanksgiving for restored health following a debilitating illness. But I think what strikes me most is its honesty. Like so many of the Psalms, it is brutally honest. It starts in a happy place. The psalmist praising God for his restored health. And then it begins to go deeper. When life was good, the writer didn't really bother very much with God. And then when tragedy struck, he called out to God in his fear and said, God, please help me, please help me. Now we need to be a little bit careful because bad things happen to good people. Beautiful, lovely people die too young or tragically injured or whatever. And other people who, frankly, we don't like very much seem to sail through life without any problems. So we do need to be very careful not to try and, and make this into something it isn't. But I also think is something that I find helpful because I know I can be a bit like that. When life's going okay, I just carry on and when it's more tricky, I come back to God. But the truth is also, and sometimes in my hardest and most sad places, it's really hard to pray. It's really hard to talk to God. And that's when we need each other. That's when I need to know that you will pray for me. And you need to know that I will pray for you and with you and walk alongside you. This psalm also is a hopeful psalm. It reminds us that there is hopefully a day when we come out the other side. The image of the weeping turning to dancing, perhaps that's a bit extreme, I don't know, but sorrow to joy. Or to put it another way, if we do this difficult work of grieving, if we, if we slog on through that, that pain and anxiety and live with the questions and, and try to do the thinking and share together, we find a way through to a new place of hope. Someone said to me last week that one of the things that distinguishes pilgrimages is they only go one way. You don't go out and back, you just go on. You're going somewhere new, and you're hoping by doing that journey that you will find something for your, your life ahead. And I guess that's true in some ways of our journeys with and through loss. We can't go back. We can't be the person we were before all this happened. The people we love who've died stay dead. The securities and certainties may well be gone for good. But as we journey on, as we come through this stage, the God who weeps with us, journeys with us, and offers us the promise that one day that God will dance with us. I chose as a hymn something from the Northumbria community. Um, I've known it a long time. It's not particularly familiar. might be best because it's not so familiar if we remain seated, and it also reflects the mood of it. It was actually written by a couple as an immediate response to miscarriage, written from a hospital trolley, no less. And Lena's nodding. She knows the people. And it's been adapted for use for people recognising the absolute ache and brokenness and emptiness of loss and of the clinging on, if by our fingertips, to the God who promises to be with us. So let's remain seated as we sing, Empty, Broken, Here I Stand.
it's a strange coincidence that the two Scottish Baptist churches we are asked to pray for this week have both sent us much valued members. Anne and Grace Semple came here with Sheila Mackenzie from Lark Hall as students. And Ian Sinclair, uh, rather less directly, came from Leith. I'm not sure, is he, is he in here this morning? No, no. He's not in very good health at present and we admire the way in which Mary helps Lilius when she can. Nancy Ralph has given long service, devoted service to the Baptist Women's Fellowship, which is also listed for our prayers. But it's appropriate that on this first Sunday of our new session, we should pray first for our Sunday school, Bible class, and creche. So let us join in prayer together. Gracious God, we thank you that plenty of young people troop out from our main service, and we want to thank you for each one of them and ask your blessing on them, their parents, and their teachers. We realize that other activities than church are available to them outside these walls. And we're grateful that they choose to come here most Sundays because they or their parents are aware that the kind of help and encouragement they receive here is literally of life-saving value to their young minds. <clears throat> we recognize their right in due course to choose between the Christian way and some other form of life. We want to give them the chance of friendly help to choose the way of Jesus. Lord God, watch over their young lives Make them conscious of your reality and of your deep love for them. And grant that by our friendly words and greetings, we may help them gradually to understand and to value what they are taught. We also acknowledge the time and effort put in by those who teach and are indebted to them for what they are doing on our behalf. The Baptist Union of Scotland asks for our prayers for Lark Hall and Leith churches, and also for the Baptist Women's Fellowship, which has played a major part in our denominational life. We commend all these causes to God's guidance and blessing. BMS Mission draws our attention to the cruel suffering of the people of South Sudan, over a million of whom have been driven over the border into Uganda in circumstances that defy description. We hear of simple devices that BMS is able to use to measure blood pressure in pregnant women and to provide basic food for the needy. And we pray that their situation may soon be alleviated thanks to what we and others are giving for that. We're also asked to pray for the many people from overseas who make their homes in Britain and for BMS partners and workers based in Britain actively learning from approaches to mission in Asia and whose work is needed as salt and light in our society. We have thought of loss this morning 
we have to recall Jesus' words on Gethsemane, Father, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not will, not my will, but thy will be done. When we suffer personal loss by bereavement, we have to be prepared to feel that loss intensely. Give us, Heavenly Father, we pray, the humility to accept it as your divine will, the courage to recognize that thereafter our life will be different, and the grace of your Holy Spirit to believe that in every new beginning you, our Father, have already begun your new work in us. Let us ask God to save us from other forms of loss that may have unconsidered consequences. Loss of our concern for other people. Loss of the will to see the world as our concern. Loss of self-confidence. Loss of the will each to serve others as we are able. Strengthen, we pray, all who struggle for the dignity of the defenseless and the freedom of captives. We pray this believing that your love comes into the world to set us free. May we see an end to empire building in politics and to indifference to the needs of the poor and disabled. Lord, show us the part we can play in helping to meet other people's need. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. Amen. We gather at the table of the Lord, a familiar resting place on our journeys of life and faith, a pause point where we remember the words of Jesus, remind ourselves of his self-giving love for all creation, and rededicate ourselves to follow in his footsteps. Here and now, in broken bread and poured out wine, we remember. And as we remember, we reflect. And as we reflect, we renew our hope, our faith and our love. Loving God with us in all times and all places, 
Help us at this time and in this place to open our hearts and minds to receive whatever it is that you would give us, to encourage, empower, or enable us to live the lives that you imagine for us. Amen. The Apostle Paul, writing to a small congregation, living in a time of chaotic and confusing social change, says this. I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And the apostle goes on to say, Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let us pray. For this bread and this wine, produce of the good earth and work of human endeavour, we give you thanks, God of all creation. As we eat and as we drink, help us to recall all they signify for us and strengthen us for the days ahead. Amen. Jesus took bread. He broke it. And he shared it with his failing and fallible followers. Gave some to Judas. Gave some to Peter. To James, John, Nathaniel. All of them. And he just said, when you do it, remember me. So let us take the bread, eating as we receive, and remember the Christ who is with us in all of life, all of loss, and never abandons us. There was nothing particularly unusual about the end of the meal, or so they thought. They shared the cup of blessing and then they would go out. But Jesus changed all that because they were going out into what they could not imagine or expect and would experience loss beyond anything they thought imaginable. And yet through that loss, we are all given hope. So let's retain our glasses that we might drink together, a sign and symbol of the hope we share in the risen Christ. In our drinking, we remember in our remembering, we confess that we are one with each other. And we promise to walk together in love, hope and faith. So let's drink together. We hear the familiar acclamation spoken at many times in many different places. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. And until he comes, let us keep the faith. Let us love strongly and let us hope defiantly.
to the glory of his name. Amen. lives forever. We can run to him for safety and his powerful arms are always there to carry us. How blessed we are. The Lord has saved us. The Lord keeps us safe. The Lord is with us to comfort us and to help us from this time forth and forevermore. Amen. 